Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> we should be live. We should be live. Holy moly! Why Here's me just you know floating around in space here. Yeah. Uh, let's see if this works. Oh, I I have a very important thing. Oh, of course the the we, thing doesn't like to. It's gonna edit this out because it doesn't see a person in it. Which doesn't your my my I'm not I don't not using a green screen so this is just sort of oh know, it's guessing. the software is just guessing what's background and what's foreground mm -hmm. yeah it does a pretty mediocre job of it yeah I'm surprised I could write better software I think like I, I'm sure of it dude how hard could it be do you do you I'm surprised you haven't already uh <laughs> I did write background removal stuff once but I'm trying to remember how I did yeah it was just like static background it's when the camera is you, you basically give it a reference thing rather than doing any of this fancy stuff where it tracks the face yeah yep. yeah you know it, it's just like part and part of a parcel of astronomy right you're going to be removing things like cosmic rays and meteors and satellites from your like right, you'd be right. doing a lot more satellite removal in the future at the rate we're going <laughs> so i if anyone doesn't know of course uh Ooh, are, are we supposed to do intros now whatever um I'm hello <laughs> hello it's scott manley here <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's scott banley uh a a guest who people have been asking for for a long time but it took a pandemic to be able to uh get the time in his schedule so that he can come and hang out with me so yeah uh, it's my schedule is always always full of something yeah yeah i know i see I, never this, not doing stuff for me this this pandemic has been almost indistinguishable from my regular life um, I go out for coffee with friends a little less, but apart from that, I work from home. I sit in this exact same chair all day long. Um, so no, nothing is, nothing is really that different. And my wife is that Herman from home. Miller Aaron. Yes. Yes. I have one too. Oh, you can't see it. Though. No, yours, yours has been removed. I, I was musing that people call me an armchair rocket scientist when I'm really, uh, uh, an Aaron, an Aaron rocket scientist. Yeah. It's funny. I went through so many chairs and they all made my legs hurt. And you, you, know, you sit in a chair for so long when you write and so on. And then I found like, okay, fine, I'm going to buy an Aaron. And this was like 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Yeah. And I've destroyed it. And then I just keep getting air on to fix it because they have a lifetime warranty. So, oh, wow. Yeah. You, they have a lifetime warranty? Lifetime warranty, yeah. So I blew out the uh, the gas um, uh, riser and they had to replace it. There's like some poor people on here on Vancouver Island that had to come and fix it. And and I'm just going to grind that that lifetime warranty forever. I, yeah. I, I bought this used at a dot com sale 20 years ago and it's still, you know, working for me. Oh, yeah. No, it's, I mean, they are they are. I mean, for all of the horrors and misery of the dot com bust, <laughs> the the air on chair was this shining thing that they got right. It's just a really good chair. Um, oh no, we I'm, lost. I'm going to bring my chair in so you can. Oh, there you go. So people can see. Yeah, we do. So, and also, so people can do, see the beer. We cause... do have the same. Yeah, the exact same chair. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Move around so you don't get a blood clot. So, uh, you know, I think that a lot of my uh, the people who are watching this have know who you are, of course. So, 
I would rather we just talk about things that you're really interested in right now. And then I know that people are going to have a whole bunch of questions for you all about uh, various topics in space and astronomy. And normally, I'm such a hog that I just use all the time for the interview and I don't give time to the viewers. But today, I want to let them ask you a bunch of questions and I will I will interpret and try to go deeper and make the questions harder. But before we get into that, just like you're currently obsessing about Apollo 13. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the 50th anniversary and I've just been going really deep into the NASA technical report server and looking at all these experiments they did afterwards and how they figured out exactly what went wrong and, and you know obviously things like how the movie is actually wrong compared to the real thing that, that's just one of many things I've, I've been writing and yeah i uh oh i'm gonna bring this into shot where uh about a week ago i actually built the i, the I built CO2 the scrubber lithium hydroxide uh adapter i i printed a model a scale model of the exact thing and then proceeded to attack it with duct tape so that we could uh, make something that was a real thing. I even had a checklist because they cut up the lunar module checklist to make the cardboard. My checklist was very simple. It said, check your staging and fly safe. <laughs> and I generally do both of those in Kerbal all the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that. And then there's uh, Kerbal rocketry, the real life things like building out Starship and you know, let's okay let's talk about starship for a little bit because um you know i have been getting so much grief and misery for talking about anything that isn't starship like the entire there space are other rockets apparently not um and so i just get like why bother with artemis because starship's just going to go to the moon and it's just going to be running the place by the it time Artemis the gets there on Elon time. <clears throat> Elon on Elon time, yeah. And I think that it's a it's a level of timekeeping that most people just don't understand yet. So uh, of course this is sad. I wanted to see the Starship fly, but oh, but yeah. it's showing that that apparently uh, rocket science is hard. So what happened to the to the third prototype? Well, so this was actually the fourth prototype because so they had the mark one which uh you know the top blue the front fell off yeah uh, mark the sn1 it exploded then imploded and then exploded right and That's then a three that was the three for and then they were elon specifically called out the interface to the puck which is the sort of disc shaped bottom section of the rocket underneath the tanks and they thought there was problems with the welding there and that's what had failed so SN2 was just a pressure test article where they built it and verified that it was able to maintain pressure, and then they ran it up until it burst. And that was less energetic than the other ones. And so in the SN3, they had solved all the welding problems. And there were many welding problems. You know, they were having to solve these things and learn how to put it together. And as I mentioned in my video, this is a sort of a hacker's approach, a maker's approach. It's move fast and break things. So they're building these and breaking them, building them, breaking them, learning how it works. So everyone was really expecting SN3 to fly. And unfortunately, it failed for mm -hmm. obvious reasons. And it failed by the lower tank, which is normally the oxygen tank, just collapsing under the weight of the upper tank, which had been filled with liquid nitrogen for pressure testing so had they not like put anything in the bottom tank to act like 
to act as support for the top tank? Well, they so it was supposed to be pressurized. Normally, mm. the thing is structurally sound on its own with a payload, but when you fill up that upper tank, then you need pressure on the lower tank. And liquid nitrogen, incidentally, is twice as heavy, practically, as liquid methane, which would normally be in that tank. So not only were they loading that, they were loading it with double its normal mass. And it appears that there was some sort, it was a ground service equipment failure or a procedural failure. I, I can't remember. Elon specifically commented saying, oh yeah, we screwed up on the ground. Hmm. So pressure leaked out and the thing just collapsed under its weight. So, and this is kind of tragic because they did, they solved the technical problems with the very difficult welding that they were doing. And then they ran into a procedural issue on the ground and it ruined all that. But it sounds like at least they're planning on reusing chunks mm. of the puck, the bottom. And we've seen pictures now of, you know, multiple raptors, although they're different raptors in subtle ways. So we're hoping SN4 is the one that flies. It would be really cool. Uh, yeah, but at the same time, don't be devastated if it doesn't happen. I mean, you move fast and break. Move fast to break things. This is what they're doing. Maybe SN twelve or thirteen will be the one that flies. <laughs> I hope not. Right. I, so you've got to compare. SN forty six will be the one that yes. goes to the moon. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you've got to compare this to how other rockets are built. And if you look at SLS, they kind of had an idea of how that would look back in twenty ten when they signed all the you know congressional agreements to do it. They didn't start building those tanks until five years later because. They had to figure out how they would build the tanks. Yeah. Then they had to figure out how the machines would look that would build the tanks. Then they had to build the machines to build those tanks. And then they started building the tanks. And then they needed to, they realized two years later that they needed to change the welding tools because it, they could get improvements in quality. And um, so, you know, that was the approach that SLS and, and traditional rocket science or aerospace takes. It's build the machines to build the thing and take a lot longer. Whereas Elon's just building things cheaply right. with human labor and the human labor is very adaptable. We can change, we can do different things right. from one way day to the next. So fundamentally though, like, like there is a, I mean, he, he's trying to build a thing. He's trying to build yeah. a two-stage fully reusable rocket. And there is some set core base assumptions on what that's going to take. And yeah. then he's trying to build that thing with whatever he's got around. He's, you know, he's building kind of like Apollo 13, um, you know, trying out different materials. But at the end of the day, there is like there is a mathematical core here that they're attempting to reach. Right. Yeah. We know what kind of Delta V you need. Right. So, you know, you get to have this two stage design and the, the real thing with starship was that they originally were talking about using carbon fiber for everything because carbon fiber was like the awesome tool best strength to weight ratio and about a year and a half ago they switched to stainless steel which was a big surprise it was it was actually christmas uh 2018 uh, tw yeah, 2018 i even i remember making a christmas ornament of a stainless steel starship no, we've been yeah, we've been a year into this ish, yeah. a little over a year. And they built the hopper first, and then the uh, you know the front fell off of that. And I actually have a model hopper up here. But uh, the thing about the stainless steel that ultimately appealed to them was that it has it's 
melts at a higher temperature, it loses its strength at a higher temperature. And the argument is that while it is heavy, it doesn't have as good a strength to weight ratio as aluminium or carbon fiber. When you cool it down to cryogenic temperature, some types of stainless steel get much stronger, so much so that it's argued that they're going to get better strength to weight ratio when they fill it with cryogenic propellants. And in theory, be able to perform a re-entry with this uh, and not and be able to reuse the entire right. thing. That's the argument. And it would be great if they do, because current re-entry systems, the last time we had a fully reusable re-entry system was the space shuttle. And that, yeah, um, we saw how that those tiles were, were not the most robust. Yeah. They were very fragile. But isn't Starship like the smallest that it can possibly be to carry out this mm -hmm. function? Of being a two-stage. Not sure where reusable. the sweet spot is, but he certainly started a lot bigger and has shrunk down over time. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I've that's what I had heard is that it, the gist of it is that Starship is literally to make this concept work for the for the amount of delta v that you're going to need from the from the two stages, it has to be enormous. Just that's your. It has to be enormous because yeah. you are going to be carrying extra mass into space. And you got to pay a penalty on that. Yeah, you're going to have to be carrying control surfaces, landing gear, and extra fuel to perform the landing. Yeah. So I mean, so Falcon Nine is actually a, a similar example. Their Falcon Nine is way bigger than a lot of, say, the Atlas V for the same payload, but that's because it brings the booster back, right? Falcon Nine is a big rocket. You, I don't know if you've ever looked at it side by side with an Atlas. It's a it's a monster. Right, but a lot of it is coming home. It's, yeah. it's having to save fuel to be able to, to bring that return trip. All right. So we've got some questions here. I want to dig into them. Um, Arjone asks, when they get it to fly, will they make a factory like ULA? Do you think there will be a factory? I, I, I think they will have – what they will start doing is they will start building out rigs to weld chunks of it more reliably. That will be the first steps towards a factory. And so they will be you know, running they'll, – they'll build like a rig to – perhaps to do the circumferential welds around the, the rings. I think they already have a machine that takes the stainless steel off the roll and rolls it into, you know, turns it into with the correct curve and then they, they weld it. So I think they're going to introduce machines bit by bit. And at some point you have enough machines. That's a factory. A factory is just a place where you yeah. do things. But uh, I mean, the really starships, I mean, are, they're not meant to, to be transported around in the way that a rocket is like right now a rocket is built in some factory in California or in Florida and it's moved by train or by truck to the rocket facility but this thing is so big I mean will they build it on the launch pad with the rig install all the hardware and then just fly it from there I mean I, I think the problem is going to be landing in the right place right um no I mean they'll be able to move this stuff by barge and there is definitely environmental impact reports that they've already published that talk about moving bits of this on barges and if you think about it it's the same size as the Saturn V and they move those stages around on barges so it's not that ridiculous to think of this being moved from one place to another for launch right right and but so I, I think that if I'll tell you though that if <laughs> if the dream ever happens which I think is a long way off of you know, point to point travel with Starship, then they might just fly stuff out of the factory and land at places. But I think that's a very long way right. off after they've, they would have to do a lot of proving that they are perfectly yeah. safe and don't fall apart and <laughs> spill debris on people. Right. And that is, and that is, we're, you know, like I said, 
47 maybe is the is the flies and doesn't fall apart prototype yeah and then you know here's the thing once you get it to fly into earth orbit and then land then you've got to say well okay next step up is getting to the moon and coming back yeah and then there's the refueling in space. There's a whole landing lot of on iterations. Mars. There are details here that yeah. people need to really appreciate. All right, landing Neil on Mars is probably actually slightly easier than it is on landing on Earth. But yeah, um, Neil Yu asks, how will Space Force model be different from regular Starship with lasers? So are they? Is 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 <laughs> you, you, space lasers Force... are not a very effective weapon against stainless steel Starship. It's too yeah. shiny. Yeah, is space, so is Space Force going to be buying some starships? Is, have you heard anything that Space Force is going to be doing that's above and beyond what it already does? Uh, so far, I've, I saw that they took delivery of some satellite jamming hardware. Yeah. But that's that's about the only thing. And that was something the Air Force was already working. Yeah, right now they're really young and they're not going to be able to diversify themselves from what was already planned. They have inertia. It takes time. Yeah. Um, Jorn Albert asks, what about planetary protection when Starship isn't built in a clean room? Ah, well, <laughs> that's a very, very good question. I think planetary protection goes out the window it once really you does. have people on it. Because you can't sterilize people. Well, So Starship is going anywhere yeah, we're like filthy. Mars, and it's designed to support people. At that point, you know, the planetary protection thing is not happening yeah so i mean is that is that how this works we we do astrobiology as long as we can until the filthy humans show up and we start to spread our bacteria all over the landscape i mean is this do we have a window of of astrobiology and then and then it's just we're it's just done i, I don't know that's a very good question yeah it's just um, gonna be cyanobacteria <laughs> everywhere we go what do you know you know we right, turn I mean, over so this here's rock the thing. You got to remember that, bacteria. right? Stuff has already been spread around the the solar system by asteroids and stuff, right? So it's just a question of do we want to be the ones responsible? And by the way, I'm looking because I'm trying to alert my family that there's French fries in the oven that are about to burn, and mm. they're not picking. They're not following up with the timer. <laughs> So I'm just like pinging their phones while if, trying to talk if, about. If you <clears throat> if you need to go and deal with that, I'll, I'll hold the fort while you. I, uh... I think it will be hilarious if I don't. Uh, but I'm I'm making noises. Okay, all right. You you uh, do what you can. If you need to, I'll hold the fort. Uh, Anne on is asking, what will be the impact of COVID nineteen on space travel pro progress? There you go. I just demonetized my video. What impact you're is it fine. Be? You're fine. I checked the new rules. It's totally fine. You yeah. just got to be careful about not spending spreading conspiracy theories. I wish they would introduce the same rules for talking about uh, your moon landings, right? <laughs> yeah, or anything. Yeah. Yeah, or flat Earth, uh, the shape of the Earth. So yeah, um, right now it looks like there's not a huge effect. I mean, astronauts have been getting ready for the May supposed flight of of a dragon right so it looks like that i think basically when you're working on something like that you can you can get everybody tested and have everyone follow up quarantine protocols and keep them secure the hardware is already built you're not pulling people together that you you can't control uh but i think longer term yeah you know we are gonna i'm, I'm not sure what the status is on the spacex factory in hawthorne but i think 
Elon probably wants to keep it open, and I think it's he'd have a hard time arguing that it's an essential business right now. Yeah, you know, um, and and so it seems that what they're doing is arguing that they're essential businesses so they can build ventilators. Uh, that's a very Elon style of thing. Yeah, they 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 uh, delivered ventilators made out of Tesla parts, which is which is awesome. Well, they also just bought a bunch from uh, some sources and and tooled them up and delivered those as well. Yeah, I think they accidentally delivered uh, sleep apnea machines. Anyway, um, no, well, no, no, no. Those are totally totally the, the, different. They're BiPAP okay. machines, and they're totally yeah. usable depending upon which. Thing. Anyway, I, I'm not a medical yeah, expert. No, 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 no. I'm not going to discuss this yeah, in great detail. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Unc Willie asks, how much could Starship deliver to a free return trajectory? Could they max out the mass, no landing or takeoff at the moon, and the payload could then go on everywhere? I believe that they currently are supposed to do a refuel in Earth orbit mm -hmm. to perform free return of the moon. Uh, I could be wrong on that. Uh, the numbers keep changing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm much better, I'm much more familiar with uh, what Falcon 9 can do. Well, I'll say that, because I was just doing the math for SpaceX's new Dragon XL, which is probably about, you know, nine tons plus, uh, you know, a few tons of propellant to perform the lunar insertion. So I don't know if you know Dragon, uh, we've, we've, got, we've had three versions of Dragon, right? Cargo Dragon, Crew Dragon, and Dragon 2 Cargo. And now they just announced Dragon XL to deliver cargo to the Lunar Gateway. I hadn't and, even heard that. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, looks unlike any other Dragon. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, and so they're going to be delivering cargo to the Lunar Gateway, assuming it doesn't get cancelled. <laughs> right. Um, I'm Sweet hoping it doesn't get cancelled. While it has many people that don't like it, I fully see it as a useful piece of space infrastructure and yes it'd be cool to spend that money in a lunar base but no that's not happening I, realistically like you're like one of the only people that agrees with me uh, on this one actually i have been you know the second i heard about the lunar gate i was like yes that is a fantastic idea you need a place that is not within low earth orbit to practice living somewhere that isn't the earth and isn't under the protection yes. of our magnetosphere and so then you got to tell yourself what is the simplest possible iteration and being in a lunar some kind of lunar halo orbit makes right. sense and if you do use the gateway then you are flying spacecraft to the gateway back and forth ferrying just like with the space station car ferrying cargo back and forth and then from the gateway you are going down to and back from the moon minimizing the amount it's a totally different architecture than apollo we did yeah. apollo we don't need to do that again I, you know, Apollo, certainly things you could do if you wanted to do Apollo again. But I think yeah. that Gateway, it's it's not just for the moon, obviously. The the orbit they've chosen is really very smart. It has very low delta V access to all the Lagrange points. Uh, it has you know, good access to the moon. And with a bit of you know magical um, orbital mechanics, you can get an assist and go off to Mars for not that much penalty. So yeah. it makes a lot of sense. But yeah. It would be better to build a lunar base, right? But you, well, so that, I disagree. I think that's I disagree. I think, but what, I have a, what I'm going to say poster right behind me that disagrees with you. Okay. Well, what I was going to say is that we're we're not there yet. I think we need to build the gateway yes. first to to learn right. a lot of the problems of operating. And I think that there are just a ton of people out there who feel like 
why go to the moon? Why go, why be in lunar orbit? You know, it's a it's a it's a toll booth. It's, it's a, been called yeah, when we should I be on the moon that. and we should be on the Mars on Mars. But the the number of details that it's going to take to be able to do this are never ending. And you're on Mars when these details reveal their ugly heads and you have to deal with them, um, you know, uh, Matt Damon style. So it just feels like start with what is this, what it, what is not Earth, but is as close as you can get to being at Earth. And that is something that's orbiting in space at a higher altitude than, than the space station. Yeah. That's the and, next step. And that, that to me is the best orbit. Like I've, I've not seen an argument for a better orbit and I've mm -hmm. looked at many, many orbits. Yeah. Um, uh, Ed McCoskley asks, why not move ISS to be the lunar gateway? Well, ISS is getting old, mm -hmm. and I think uh, it's better to see what else we can do with it. I think uh, ISS, well, honestly, ISS is also kind of heavy. Yeah. We've developed a lot of new technology. The 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 hardware that's being going to be used for, like, the navigation and stabilization on ISS is going to be completely different than what we're using for attitude control and navigation on uh, yeah. Gateway. And, you know, the gateway is actually a little harder to maintain. It needs to do little orbit trim maneuvers all the time. Every week it's going to spend, you know, a few centimeters per second. You know, maybe, wait a second. Yeah, it's about 20 centimeters per second per week to, you know, stay in the correct orbit. So it keeps hitting this periodic orbit. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, uh, Gateway is going to be hardened for deep space radiation better than yeah. ISS is. And also... People, I think, just don't appreciate the amount of change in velocity that's required to move from the ISS's orbit to an orbit around the well, moon. Yeah, the ISS has a lot more power than they would necessarily need for this kind of function as well. Mm -hmm. Like, ISS is designed for permanent habitation and permanent experiments running all the time. It has a huge power excess most of the time. They don't need nearly as much mass, so I, I think you know again it makes sense to start from scratch in this case, and yeah. and it mean also means that you know they're going to practice with with new launch vehicles, I guess. Yeah, but I guess the point is like it's not it's not like ISS is out in space and the moon is out in space, so why not put ISS from from one part of space to a different part of space? ISS is moving at seven point six six kilometers per second. And so whenever you've got a thing that weighs that much and is moving it that fast. Right, it's going to need another three kilometers per second. So you would need a booster, you know, about half the size of the space. You'd need, you know, a booster measured yeah. in just under 100 tons, I think, just off the top of my head, just to, depending just, upon the propellant. So it would be a monster. Yeah, yeah, to give it that kind of a... To give it the Delta V just to get up there, yeah. yeah. And not to mention putting it in that right orbit. So, well, I mean, they could reach that from their current orbit. So right. that's, you know. yeah. but I think the ISS should remain as long as possible as a, a base for doing stuff in low earth orbit. I think, you know, in the dream world, the low earth orbit becomes much more commercial and you start having more tourists yeah. because, yeah. hey, space tourism, for all the people that deride it, it is, there are people that are willing to spend money to go there. Yeah. 
Um, the I, and the other idea for the Lunar Gateway again is uh, you add a refueling depot and you refuel your spacecraft there on your way to Mars, and you can take a hundred tons to the surface of Mars. You can take a ludicrous right. amount of cargo to Mars. And if you learn to get your fuel from the moon, then bang, that's a hugely transformative thing. Yeah. If you can refuel on the surface of the moon, it makes Mars like I'm not not a million times easier. It makes it, you know, 30 or 40 times easier right. in terms of the amount of mass you can afford to send out. Um Robert Allen asks, can they safely land the Starship on the moon without a landing pad? That is a very good question. I think the person that is looking at this that I would ask is Philip Metzger. Mm -hmm. I think you've had him I, on. Yep, yep, I did. Uh, he, he knows way more about landing stuff on the lunar regolith and the, the mess that rocket engines can make. Yeah, he. It's interesting. I don't know if you saw the conversation that we had, or if you, if you had a chance. To I talk was there to him. for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So he has done some very interesting calculations about the how the regolith gets thrown into space and how that interacts with things that are in orbit around the moon. And yep. the answer is a lot, very high, and badly in a negative right. way. So and Starship, at least, is probably one of the more robust pieces of hardware which right. will land at the moon other things are not going to handle getting hit by regolith getting flown around thrown around yeah. just as well. and and starship will throw a lot more stuff because those raptor engines they can maybe throttle down to 50 percent of their design thrust so it's like 100 tons of thrust that is way more than the one ton of thrust that was being used at landing with the Apollo lunar modules. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so you're looking at the moon, the lunar environment being rendered it's mini Kessler syndrome for a couple of weeks after every starship landing happens. Yeah. Which is, which is something that, that had never even crossed my mind. And you then gotta have to, landing pads. And then talking to Phil Metzger, he was like, oh no, it's a huge problem. And again, right. these are some of the details, right? Right. Dust is uh, just the thing that messes you up. Um, uh, A.V. Scott and Flower asks, do you ever think that Starship will ever be built from a single sheet of steel without so many seams? Uh, I... <laughs> That is probably the the realm of the people that fabricate steel. And I don't know, but I imagine if there was demand and it made the difference, sure. But I think the welds are probably fine. <laughs> well, right now they're welding them like they're like stacking up donuts, right? And they're sort of yeah. welding each one well, ah, yeah. at the so end. So one right? thing that I get asked all the time is why don't they make these like they make these conduits where it's a spiral wound mm. single sheet of I've, steel. I've had the same question. And you can't do that because the rocket is designed to be thicker at the bottom than it is at the top. If you ever looked at a water tank, I don't know, I, there's one that I walk by when I'm walking the dog, and you can see at the bottom there's more rivets because it needs more pressure. The same is going to be true of Starship. The same is true of any rocket, that the thickness of the material changes from top to bottom because they understand the mass distribution matters, right. and you can save this. So, so you... that's why they're not going to make it from a single wound piece of steel. Um... Arjone asks, does Starship have shielding for being outside of Earth's magnetic field? 
Uh, it it has more shielding than some of the spacecraft that are being sent because it's made of steel. No, it, it's made of steel, but you know, steel isn't necessarily the best thing. Steel's great at dealing with things like the electrons and, and stuff, but uh, there's there's heavy, there's different types of cosmic rays. You'll you'll start to find out, and it gets complicated as to what is the best. The, the really the best thing is to have thick shielding of varying stuff, where you have you know a dense material, and then you have uh, less dense materials on both sides. <laughs> It's uh, something that I really got to do some work on. I've, I've sort of had a, a an episode that I want to do on radiation in space, but uh, I don't remember the exact numbers right now. <laughs> um, I, I've done a couple of them, and the answer is always depressing, that <clears throat> there's no good answer. And, and it's not like – like every time I, – I get this question a lot as well, which is like, hey, why hasn't anyone just made like an artificial magnetosphere? And it turns it out it requires a ton of energy. It turns out NASA has been trying to figure this out for 50 years. And there's right. paper after paper after paper. Um, and the problem with magne artificial magnetospheres is it protects some areas but makes more radiation in others. And if you've got high energy uh, cosmic rays coming in that are nuclei, they hit that and then they spray out neutrons that just don't care about the magnetic field. Yeah. So you got to account for all of this stuff. It's not as easy as you would imagine. No, no, it's in, in, again. Uh, it's know, useful I've for seen books and dozens stories. of papers of people attempting to solve this problem, and it always just comes down to you would be better solved just surrounding yourself in the same amount of metal that your magnets and power or system water, would require yeah, or exactly, water right. or, or totally yeah or whatever it is. Like it's never a time when it makes sense to go electric. It always makes sense to just surround yourself in protons. Actually, if you scale it up, I think that's what they found. You've got to scale up to really big sizes, and then it starts to work. There was one idea where this uh, this researcher was proposing that you build like a giant donut, giant tor torrid, that, uh, that just one chunk of it, just the top of the donut is peeking out above the, the Martian surface, but it's still a couple of hundred meters above you. And then the rest of this donut is embedded underground. And it's at those kinds of scales that you can actually start to build a, a workable structure that you can actually put. But again, this is just like, we can't even get back to the moon yet. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah. so how do you, how do you approach that like on the one hand, it feels like like everything in space is changing faster than it's ever. Like I feel like I'm I'm suffering whiplash. How quickly the new advances are coming. There's everything coming out of Blue Origin. There's everything coming out of SpaceX. Plus another, what's got to feel like a dozen rocket companies of various sizes and different different technologies. And then on the other hand, it feels like it's going too slowly. And where's our where's the expanse future that that we have somehow led ourselves to believe we deserve? Well, you know, the, the expanse, of course, those engines work uh, at the speed of plot and they use science, which sort of works if you squint at it on paper, but not really in reality. Yeah, I mean, sure. I think, God, yeah, I do want this sci-fi future, right? Yeah. That's, that's where I'm going. And I, I think that we get there by moving fast and breaking things. That's what I think. <laughs> but unfortunately... No people with the funding don't like to see failure. So it's very odd to see, you know, Elon Musk is actually a strange exception. I know a lot of people have issues with the way he does things, but uh, 
he's the sort of in a unique position to push things forward in a way that are slightly faster than we've been seeing elsewhere. I, it also helps that he's a bit of a sci-fi fan. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Jeff Bezos is a bit of a sci-fi fan too. But um, how do you he's... how do you feel about about the Bezos strategy? Um, I as think a he's. Counter to I don't know. I think he's moving too slow. <laughs> I, I think he's moving things like a. But is a, a he rocket moving com- ferociously too too slow? I, I don't. I don't quite understand. I love. I think Blue Origin. Every time I see something that they've done, they've done it great. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know how long it took to get there. And so it makes it feel like it must be too long. And that's me completely unaware of what's going on. Yes. Um, I'm glad that they are going to be flying hardware in the Vulcan. I think it's very cool that the, their engine is being chosen for that. Yeah. But uh, it, it's, it's funny. Um, there was an int- a paper that came out a couple of months ago where they were looking at the different options, different configurations for what's going to go to and from gateway and what's going to go from the gateway down to the surface. And they were considering all of the different rocket choices they had available from the Falcon Heavy to the SLS to the um, to the Blue Origin, the New Glenn. And the New Glenn is a monster like it's absolutely a monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think people just don't understand. Like, it is not a Falcon 9. It is not a Falcon Heavy. It is next level. Only Starship it's, it's is going to be bigger. Right. But Starship um, is going to, because of its reusable upper stage, you know, it's perhaps working at a disadvantage in terms of throw mass. So, yeah, I mean, New Glenn is, is crazy. And, of course, they've talked about New, um, New Armstrong, uh, Armstrong yeah. right? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> And I don't know where that would go, but it would, I don't know how you scale up. Like there's such a big step between Mm -hmm. New Shepard and New Glenn. I can't imagine they have the same scale going up to New Armstrong. Well, the, but I mean, even Musk was saying that really Starship is too small, that, that you want to go with a fairing size that is double the size of Starship to really take advantage of the economies of scale and really take advantage of, of all of that all of that mass that you're having to carry up into space. And I'm sure that Bezos is making the same calculations, which is it feels ridiculous to throw any part of your rocket away. So how do you solve it? Right. And then obviously Starship's built from that. I mean, the thing about scaling up rockets, though, is that, you know, you can stretch rockets, but you can only stretch them so far because you have this bundle of engines at the bottom and the area that you have to put an engine is the same regardless of whether you're building a massive rocket or a tiny rocket. So you eventually end up limited by how much mass you can fit above that single engine. So if you cluster 46 engines together, you know they have to have a certain size, a certain diameter. Yeah. If you want to double the size, you can keep adding engines. You can't make your rocket taller. You can only ever make it wider at a certain point. Right. And so that ah. is the sci-fi future that we were never promised is these big fat rockets. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think, uh, yeah. That just looks like, I mean, there's basically limits to how taking off. Right. Pyramids. Oh yes. I've, I've done some of those in Kerbal for sure. <laughs> um, all right. I, I got a question, a super chat question that came in from Tim nation. Why go to the moon and Mars when we can target asteroids for resource extraction? How long before SpaceX or blue origin announce that they are headed to a near earth asteroid or the moon or Mars? Well, so SLS, one of its first missions was going to be this asteroid visit. They wanted to go and send a spacecraft to grab an asteroid 
in near you know near Earth asteroid and bring it back to lunar orbit or thereabouts, so that then astronauts could go out to this asteroid and investigate it. And that, for some reason, never got people excited. Yeah. But asteroids are actually, in terms of just science destinations for people, they're kind of fascinating because they're a good, they're a nice step between going to the moon and going to Mars. You can find solutions where you only spend a couple of months away and then return. Now, turning, you know, beginning to do resource extraction, yes, sure. In fact, there was, I believe, uh, there was a White House um, declaration or something today, basically, that came out and said, American companies can go out and exploit asteroids and space resources all they want. Yeah, Billy Booth. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I mean, like, there but, is a but, graveyard filled with companies that have attempted to do any part of this. That right. that space is not. There is no business model for space yet. There is no yeah. And there, for the there's nothing future. Yet. There's you know I I made I made this point a couple of videos ago that that anyone who owns a boat right owning a boat it's like standing in a cold shower and tearing up money right yeah. that's it's the same experience <laughs> right and 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 like there's nothing there's nothing the power from space doesn't make sense extracting resources from asteroids doesn't make sense um that 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 if you want to make a business that is trying to pull resources or try to make make money out in space you will you will it's too far out it's too far all yeah right right. and i think that i have lunar gateway if it stays alive, right. is actually a thing that private businesses can then use to reduce the cost of all the other stuff. I, I think the more you get these sort of pioneering uh, infrastructure objects out there, yeah. the cheaper it starts to make things. And eventually, the private businesses could potentially. Yes. But at the same time, figuring out how to not just extract the materials, but then refine the material, bring, so that it's worth bringing them back. That is just like a whole next level of science that we haven't gotten yeah, near. Yeah. And I'm sure we could figure it out, but it's very hard to spend time in zero G and test that your hardware actually works. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to see this sci-fi future, obviously, yes. right? But I don't know when it's going to happen. I, I feel like... Like on the one hand, people are 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 excited and enthusiastic about what the future holds, and on the other hand, they are impatient about how long and how much energy and effort this is all going to take. And yet, we are moving at light speed compared to what we used to, and and it will seem glacially slow in it over the decade, but it will seem astonishingly quick over a century. But you know, nobody's got patience for that. For that, Apollo century. is a and the the problem I think is that we've judged speed by that of Apollo, when yeah. in fact we should be judging the speed of evolution as that of the space shuttle and ISS. But if you take all of the the accomplishments in space and you plot it on an exponential curve, like Moore's law, but space Moore's law, it does all follow the the exponential growth curve. As the technologies come online, as the development of reusable rocketry, as the lower cost technology and hardware and all that, like we are moving on an inevitable path. It's just that it it doesn't look like what you think it looks like. And that's why we don't have people walking on the moon. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of technologies don't follow exponential curves in terms of performance. What you have is a sort of, we don't know anything, and then it will rise up very quickly for a period, and then it sort of flattens off into a more sort of logarithmic curve. But it's a multidimensional thing. It's not just performance. It's performance, it's cost, it's reusability. And in multiple dimensions, yeah. we're making small developments out, way out on the logarithmic end of the scale right now. Because, you know, we've, we've got as much performance as we can from rocket engines. The Space Shuttle's main engine, probably the best performing rocket engine we will ever see, realistically. Yeah. Because you can't really get better specific impulse out of what you have. The, the, the physics limit you. The chemistry limits you. Uh, you might, if you have a lot of energy sources, you might be able to get better specific impulse you probably can't get better uh, thrust simply because the the energy to do like a, an electric thruster would have to come from a nuclear source. And at that point, you're talking about huge amounts of radiation, the thermal stuff. And it doesn't actually work. You're still going to need chemical thrusters for a lot of yeah. these things. So point is, the space shuttle engine, the RS-25, is about as good as you can get. Mm-hmm. And yeah, every other development... Rocket from, engines. Right. Every other development has been, been things like Merlin, making it really, really cheap to build a rocket engine, even although its performance isn't as good, making it throttleable. You have things like the, um, you have the RS-68, obviously, which took the space shuttle stuff and they just made it very, a lot cheaper as well. And you have Raptor, which is trying to make this full flow staged combustion cycle engine where all the internal plumbing, the temperatures never get high enough that you have to worry about some of the erosion problems that you would have to worry about in space shuttle engines. So again, what I'm saying is that you've got developments in different directions in different areas, even although it may not look like a, mm-hmm. an advance, let's say. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying is that is that right now, if the path continues for the Artemis mission, the whole process of getting a brand new space station orbiting around the moon with missions to and from the space station and down to the surface of the moon will be done on a shoestring compared to the budget of the Apollo missions, which was yeah. to drop 12 men onto the surface of the moon and bring them back to Earth. Like, like I mean, they wanted to drop more, but Apollo 13 kind of messed that up. <laughs> right, right, right. Watch watch your video to, to learn more about that. Um <laughs> But and so I think that that it will take fifty years to return to the moon, but this time it will it won't take fifty more years for the next you know when people lose interest this time, it won't take another fifty years. It'll take you know twenty years, and eventually it'll be it will be it'll feel more and more inevitable. That's how I mean, this. I, th- I think feels. That what we want is people going to the moon. You know every three months mm-hmm. just like people go to the space station every three months yeah. or antarctica or antarctica well antarctica yeah they go like every six months <laughs> go, yeah yes yeah well they they, they and then they leave for the, the winter uh so plainsman murph asks if we continue to see more and more failures with starship do you see spacex moving towards certifying falcon heavy for human flight or on a larger crew dragon maybe version three or four Oh, that's a good question. I, yeah. I think that that idea is certainly being considered because, yeah, you could you could certainly take the existing crew dragon and add some more supplies and toss it around the moon. Like the, if you were to just take a crew dragon and spec it to go around the moon, I think 
it wouldn't require that much because you, you already have the trunk space and you would put your extra consumables in there. Yeah. Falcon Heavy absolutely has the capability to throw that in a free return trajectory. Right. And if they made and, like a bigger service module for like they made an additional service module for the Crew Dragon, they could definitely get to a place where they've got. Well, they already have the space. Cart. They already have the trunk. Right. The trunk is big, empty space that is not needed if you were just. But I'll tell you what. I'm not sure I want to sit in a crew dragon for a week. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. it's pretty small. It is. Yeah. It is pretty small. I mean, it's bigger than some things, but at the same time, yeah, I saw, was it Space Adventures is talking about like a week long mission and higher Earth orbit, higher than the space station. And I don't know, I wouldn't, even if I had the money, I don't think I would pay for that. Like, it just seems not ideal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it it's uh but I mean maybe there will be a version. Again, it's I mean this is the this is the problem. This is what's good about this. I'm not sure which way you go in this that that Falcon 9, Falcon Heavy, and then the Falcon Heavy is essentially being sunsetted already for Starship and yet Starship they are struggling to solve all of these problems and they haven't even started to solve all the new problems. Like how do you bring that thing back from space? Like that's when the problems really well, yeah, I start. Mean, so with Starship, I totally believe they can make that fly. We've seen them fly Hopper. Yeah, they've uh, they've already flown it a bit. Right, they've already flown it. It's the, how do they make this thing fly reliably? And I've done this in Kerbal, and it is very hard. It is so twitchy, regardless of what I do. It's it, you know, I, I like you can put a keel on it, and then that makes it sort of more stable. But even then it's very easy to just lose control of this thing and, and then it looks nascent. Um, but flying something like that in the whole skydiver position where you've got, you know, the, the arms move. Yep. And and then what happens in a failure situation? I, like, <laughs> yeah. it seems... Details. Yeah, it seems very concerning. That's it, the bit I would be most concerned about. Uh, yeah. I mean, could we like reach a point where they can never human certify these things and they use, you use dragon and then you dock with it out in space and then you move on to your next, you know, you, you fly to the space station and starship flies to the space station and then you get in starship and then you go somewhere, but you never are relying on this thing to come in and out. But I guess not. I mean, if they're going to be using these things for point to point transportation around the world. Um, I, I think that some people will, I, I guess actually, some people will never want to fly in it because there's no abort system. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. At the same time, I think basically, well, an airplane doesn't have an abort system. Yeah, but you know the number of flights. Yeah. That you get, we're not going to be anywhere near that number of flights, considering the amount of mass that it has to use. The other thing about Starship is they, they, they're wanting to start manufacturing the fuel. They need to figure out how to scale that up, right? Because that's Elon says he wants to manufacture the methane on Earth using the Sabati process because that's a problem they have to solve on Mars. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of material they want to be harvesting and manufacturing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people want to know what you're drinking. It is the Marin Brewing Company. Three Flowers IPA, 6.5%. It's from Larkspur, California. There's a ferry that goes from Larkspur to San Francisco, and I will sometimes take it because it's got a beautiful view. 
that is yeah. uh and uh and how is it on the uh on the hoppiness scale pretty hoppy it's, it's an IPA. pretty darn hoppy i'm not sure if it has an ip but apparently it won a, a gold medal at the great american beer festival and at the world beer cup unfortunately our uh, beer festival last week was cancelled i'm hoping it will be rescheduled at some point I'm a big fan of beer because it is a very refined drink, unlike wine, which anyone can make by accident. Beer <laughs> requires understanding of the fermentation process. We have an awful lot of uh, of breweries here in my small city. We've, I think we've got more. Uh, we must have more per capita than than almost any other place. It's great. I I think everywhere feels like that these days. Maybe Do you know maybe. like. like um, I, I I once read that under Barack Obama, America gained more breweries than ever existed in the entire world prior to that point. Right? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yes. Uh, Michael Gian says new Armstrong question mark. Please expand. I, I yes. That's basically it. new Glenn expand yeah new glenn but bigger like he so like you imagine this rocket that we haven't seen launch yet but it's going to be really big right it's like bigger star, it's like the space balls rocket right no <laughs> this is something that's been mentioned but we don't really yeah. know there are no details yeah. it is it is just this is what jeff bezos comes after he says comes after new glenn right that is, that is literally all the information that we have ever been provided more now, I mean, the name New Armstrong, something about the moon, maybe. Yeah, because I, I mean, Glenn, surely it can go to the moon, oh. and of course, they have Blue Moon, which is actually, uh, from in many ways, it's a much more interesting project because sure, everybody can build a rocket, but making this big effort to actually put stuff on the moon and provide a standardized way of doing it that actually has real legs with the, the commercial lunar payload, um services project yeah. uh, program that's the word so uh plainsman murph says can the rs-25 engines be throttle controlled enough to return to kennedy space center or to a drone barge just wondering if nasa could pay spacex to modify sls to land using their technology i mean like i am gonna cry every time that first stage goes into the drink so yeah they can throttle down an rs-25 in fact i know that i read a paper where they managed to do under testing throttle an RS-25 down to something like 30%. And you, they, they do this by just injecting a lot more hydrogen. They make it very, very fuel rich. Uh, the problem, of course, with SLS is it's not designed to do this. The engine layout would need to have be canted inwards, or they would maybe, maybe SLS Mark II, where they have five RS-25 engines. Like the thing about, the thing that a lot of people don't get, Falcon 9, when it first appeared, right? first of all, SpaceX was a scrappy little company that took this hobbyist engine, right? Merlin was this little engine that a hobbyist had more or less designed on his own, right? And they built Mer you know, Falcon 1. And then Elon Musk said, oh, we're going to do Falcon 5 and Falcon 9. And a lot of the real rocket companies sort of mocked this idea, saying, oh, real rockets... Why do you have nine engines? You know, one explodes, you lose them all. This is a terrible idea. You know, your your engine is so small, blah, blah, blah. Turns out having nine engines means that you don't have to throttle down nearly as deeply if you're going to land your stages. So if you're going to land a rocket, the more engines you have, 
the less throttleable your engines need to be to safely land it. So SLS has four engines. Uh, yeah, they would have to figure out how to deep throttle that. If, in New Glenn, it's going to have seven engines. It's probably going to be able to to land because the um, the BE four engine has yeah, no, some they're pretty deep throttling capability. Yeah, they they're absolutely going to be reusable first stage. Yeah. But yeah, landing landing on Raptors, you know, they've only figured out how to throttle that down fifty percent, and they really like to go deeper, so they don't have to do the suicide burns, right? <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so someone asked, and I apologize, it was a ways back here. Someone asked, how realistic is Kerbal Space Program at this point? You can make it as realistic as you want to. Like you can go way out there and replicate all and you can literally go out there and build something with the exact same stage masses as a real rocket and get very close to real mass to orbit you know and everything and real measurement i've i've done this in the past to estimate the performance of things and i came out pretty close to spreadsheets that people were doing so i was very happy but equally basic kerbal space program is accurate at some things and not so much at others it's actually it's it's enough to teach you the important skills that you know to teach you what to look for like when you're building a plane you learn to look for where the landing gear is where the flaps are where the center of mass is you make sure your center of mass is in front of your center of lift otherwise you will be back flipping as soon as you try to turn it you, you know you're going to look at rockets and you're going to see the same thing the the real thing, I guess, is you, you start to put fins on all your rockets just because they look cool and they make things easy. But nobody does that these days because you know, rockets get controlled by uh, computers and everything. I, I always say that I learned more about like rocketry from playing Kerbal Space Program for a couple of days than I did in 15 years of space science journalism. Right. I mean, the, what really I think it teaches very well, if the people do it, is it teaches orbital rendezvous yeah. very, very yeah. well. Because you will get this sort of implicit feeling, you'll get this sort of seat of the pants feeling that, oh, got to stay low, stay low, get up. You know, you, you get the... You, you're... It's, it's sort of natural to think that there's this natural thing where, you know, if you slow down in space, you expect that you'll fall further behind. But in fact, you go forwards. It's like you slow down and you go faster. Yes. You, go, you accelerate yeah. and you go slower. That doesn't make any sense. You learn that. It becomes kind of second nature. So I, I think Kerbal is a great as a teaching tool. Uh, I think it's great for providing visualizations of how potential missions work. Like I did crew I did, sorry i did dragon xl in kerbal space program and actually i get a, a message from some very high ups at nasa i'm not going to share their names but that really were quite happy to see that <laughs> that's that's almost scary um but i guess uh, you I know, mean, they're I, yeah. working from home you're working from home so you know what's the difference yeah i don't know maybe they're yes exactly right you know i'm like yeah. head of x division or whatever right yeah so. I um, showed it to Jim and he likes it kind of thing. <laughs> Wait, I, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to ask Elon to build it. Uh, where'd this come from? All right. Uh, so last question. Um, this comes from Matthew Black. Uh, do you think that the reusable launch fleet of Falcon Heavy, Vulcan, and New Glenn will give, will make it so the U.S. decides that the SLS is obsolete sooner or later, leaving aside Starship? I mean, we can assume that Starship changes everything if it works. SLS is just 
too much steeped in politics, it will stay alive regardless for many things. And I think it's very clear. I think it's fascinating to watch right now as SLS is being treated as more important than Gateway, for example. Uh, you know, they'd much rather now that Gateway was, or sorry, that, that commercial things are building Gateway, that they would, you know, suddenly the Gateway is no longer essential, you know? Right. <laughs> like, we'd much rather build the exploration right. upper stage for SLS. But, you know, to be fair, I really want the EUS to be built for SLS because it's kind of a pointless rocket without that bigger upper stage. The only reason it's using that interim cryogenic stage is because we already have them. Right, it requires almost no development. Whereas right. putting, apparently putting four RL tens on a raw, on a upper stage is kind of difficult. But... but like if you if SLS for some reason is just impossible to fly, you could get pretty much all of the goals met with some combination of Falcon Heavy, Vulcan, New Glenn, Omega. Well, um, and and like a re like if aces could ever be made a reality, right, that would solve so many problems. Yeah, right. So for a people who don't high know, energy aces reusable. Is, yeah. yeah, aces is 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 orbital an orbital refueling system. It's well, it's an upper stage that can be refueled, and it solves yeah. so many things. Suddenly, you just you carry up a bunch of hydrogen and refuel that. And you've solved, you know, you're you're reusing the good hardware. And, um, yeah, it's your orbital tug for our high efficiency performance. Yeah, and you know, the other thing that we haven't even mentioned is that they have sort of restarted some research into nuclear thermal propulsion. And I think that's a very important thing to be looking at going, you know, considering going to Mars and things like yeah. that. Well, Scott, we, uh, we've we reached the end of the hour that I uh, that I stole from you and we could obviously just keep this conversation going uh, all, all night probably, but uh, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you. Uh, I can't wait till we can do this again in person as opposed to our various separate quarantines, but we're going to have yes. to wait for... Uh, for let us know the next time you're in San Francisco. Of course, right? of course, yeah. Um, but f let people know what you're working on right now that they should come and check out your channel or watch in the in the coming days. Well, I, you know, I, I'm going to say that one of my favorite projects I worked on recently was I wrote a bunch of code to do relativistic ray tracing, originally from black holes, but then I decided to visualize what wormholes would look like, and I took, you know, wrote a bunch of code for that. And there's a 360 video I posted a few weeks ago. And I just I just loved it because I spent so much time figuring out how light curves and I learned so much about the very cool ways in which those behave. Right now, yeah, working on the Apollo 13 various videos because, of course, it's the 50th anniversary of that. And I wanted to go deeper into it, into corners that nobody else seems to have done particularly well. Uh, yeah, I, I, and... Yeah, just more rockets exploding. Hopefully, <laughs> not or, or hopefully not. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I so I, I have I have a whole bunch of stories about old rockets that have exploded, but whenever a rocket fails, I apparently I've now been making videos. You can tell when a video is about something bad because I'll make a video in my dressing gown. <laughs> so it's now the dressing gown of doom or bad news. <laughs> the bad news, the dressing gown of, of bad news. That's awesome. Because you because these explosions seem to happen Because I was like, oh, night. get up. i got to talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get up and you just start to yeah catch everybody up. Well, Scott, always a pleasure. You're a legend. Uh, keep doing what you do. And every, I hope everybody there stays safe. And we are able to uh, fly safe again soon. Yes. Check your staging. Fly safe. All right. Thank you, sir.